right, well, listen, welcome to church this morning. Welcome to New Life Church. It's a treat and a joy to see everybody here today, to have you all of you with us this morning and uh, this first Sunday of October. Uh, fall is here, at least in theory. Uh, the temperature will eventually catch up to us at some point in time. Uh, I want to say hi and greet everybody watching online. So thankful for you. Uh, so appreciate you. So glad you are participating with us today. Uh, listen, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to the New Testament, John chapter 20. And just as a quick reminder, if, if, uh, if you missed uh, grabbing your communion elements on the way in, uh, try to go ahead and you can do that now, uh, kind of in this intro spot of, of the message, just so you'll have them ready for uh, a little bit later at the end of the sermon, and uh, we'll, we'll be coming together to take communion. Uh, we have a, a table back prepared for you at the back there uh, with a basket with the elements. And if you're online watching, go ahead and go to your kitchen or wherever you keep stuff like that and get what you need um, for, for communion a little bit later. We'd love to, for you to join us and participate with us in that act of worship. Well, listen, guys, we have, um, we've been in this series called Hope is Here, talking a whole lot about hope. The Bible talks about it a whole lot, and uh, we've just been looking at uh, a variety of ways throughout the scriptures on how God offers us and gives us hope in this hopeless world that um, he calls us to put our hope not in a feeling, uh, not in a hyped emotion, um, because those will often let us down, but to put, them in, uh, put our hope in the person of Jesus because hope is him. He is hope. Jesus is our hope. And so uh, I've been looking at a lot of different... Uh, stories throughout scripture about that and uh we kind of we started this whole series with uh, uh some words from the apostle paul in first corinthians 13 he he tells us that right now in this life that we live we don't see things real clear how many of you would agree with that man you just I, I, yeah absolutely there are things that are puzzling to me that are kind of mysterious to me not very clear i don't understand certain things i don't understand others sometimes i don't understand myself and, uh, and then we live that way, Paul says. We live right now that way. But one day, we will see God face to face, and we will see things with perfection. We will see things with perfection. But until that one day, he ends that chapter by saying, there are three great things that are left for us, that God leaves us faith, hope, and love. Three things that help to carry us and move our life forward until that one day. And we are, we've been drilling down and focusing on hope and, and what that has to say and, and what, what God has to say a lot about hope. And it, it, it kind of leaves this, this question today. We're going to look at a, a particular place of life uh, that, um, that a lot of us will find ourselves in and have found ourselves in, and that is, is there hope for the doubter? Uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever doubted God? Have you ever doubted Scripture? you ever doubted truth? you ever doubted when somebody comes to you and says, you're not going to believe this, but anybody ever come to you like that with a good story, with something f- fantastic, and they're like, you're not going to believe this, but, and then they begin to tell you everything that was so amazing, and, and it's almost like they don't want you to believe it because it almost sounds too good to be true. And, and how, how certain things can work out with the way God's hand works in our life. But, you know, doubt certainly has become more of a common 
um, thing in our culture today, um, uh, probably uh, uh, more so than in a, now than in, in, a, in ever before, perhaps, because of the different uh, attachments of connecting points that we have with life through social media and through the internet and through media in general. You know, so many things can be said and, and misinformed, misinformation shared, it cre- and could create doubt. Uh, people, uh, relationships, uh, can, people can let us down in certain ways, and it can create some doubt in our mind about, uh, about one another and maybe about, about, about people in general and losing all hope in humanity, so to speak, because of the different uh, fragile aspects of our life and the broken spots of our life and the way that kind of all comes out. And so, but today, I, I want to look at it, at it this way, that we all may have doubt, and people doubt for different reasons, and have doubt because of different situations, but I want to I want us to look at it from the angle of it's not so the problem being not so much about doubt, but really what do we do with our doubt? What do we do with it when we have doubt? And we're going to look at this story here in John chapter twenty, and some of you are familiar with this um, story, um, and we're going to I've titled today's message "Hope for the Doubter," hope for the doubter, and. And the, and, the, and the main person in this story, the, the character here, is Thomas. And uh, you've, a lot of us have heard it said, Doubting Thomas, or what have you. But it just kind of set this story up real quick. Is um, this, this story begins to take place on the, um, on the evening of Christ's resurrection. So Thomas and the disciples, lots of folks just witnessed their best friend, their leader, their mentor, their rabbi, the one who did so many miracles, who called them out of, um, called them out of their way of living and to, and to really create a whole new path of living in following Jesus. And they witness him um, falsely accused and, and betrayed and beaten and um, just hammered to a cross and watch him die and then put into a, into a tomb. And, and they're left in this space space of life, like, and kind of like, man, this did not turn out like I thought it would. Um, what he said he was going to do, um, it's not the way I would have planned it. That's not the way I would have, I have imagined this whole story leading up to now. And so, then we're going to kind of skip into this story here in chapter 20, verse 24, um, and, and, um, and catch up to where, where Thomas uh, it becomes the star of this story, so to speak. Verse 24 says, one of, the tw- uh, one of the twelve wasn't present when Jesus appeared to them. It was Thomas, whose nickname was the twin. And so the disciples informed him, Hey, we have seen the Lord with our own eyes. Still unconvinced, Thomas replied, There is absolutely no way that that happened. He said, there is no way I'm going to believe this unless I personally see the wounds of the nails in his hands, touched them with my finger, put my hand into the wound of his side where he was pierced. And then eight days later, Thomas and all the others were in the house together and the doors were locked. This whole story sheds light on three thoughts that I want to talk about today. The first one is that we often doubt because we try to protect ourselves. We often doubt because we try to protect 
ourselves. We don't want to be let down. And we're all kind of like Thomas. Thomas has, over the years, man, has gotten a bad rap. Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Couldn't you just take their word for it, man? Truth is, we're all kind of like Thomas sometimes. And there's a, we'll see, we'll get around to some other angles on this. But here's the, here's the thing. Thomas wasn't with these other disciples the first time that Jesus appeared. It was the night of his re- after his resurrection. He walks into this locked-up room where all the disciples are gathered because they were afraid, and he speaks to them, and he shows himself to them. But Thomas was not there. And so they have this experience with Jesus. They had this encounter with Jesus. They had this visitation with Jesus and had seen him. And so they were stoked and they were pumped, man. And they went to Thomas and said, we have seen the Lord. It is true. He is alive. We, we've, been, we've just had some interaction with him. And, and he's like, I don't, I don't know. That's good for you, but you got your chance. I wasn't there. Whatever it was that prevented Thomas from being present, he wasn't there. And he's like, you, you got to have your own personal experience, but I need to have mine. I need to have mine. I want to see him for myself personally. And so then eight days later, he didn't know how, if it would happen. He didn't know if their story was true or not. He was just holding out and hoping a little that he would have his encounter. Maybe. And so eight days later, they're in this room again, and they have the doors locked. They have the doors locked again. You know, sometimes we lock the doors of our heart. Sometimes we we will put up walls. Times we will shut other people out because we're afraid to get our hopes up only to be let down. See, we can't really fault Thomas here. See, these other guys had their time. Thomas had yet to have his. And there he was, afraid, maybe to get his hopes up only to just be let down. You ever been there? You ever been there before where... You're afraid to kind of hope because you, you think, man, if I hope a little too much and it doesn't happen, I'm just going to really be disappointed. And then when that does happen, you, you do get your hopes up and it doesn't work out like you thought it would and you get disappointed and you get let down. You're afraid the next time to get your hopes up again. Right? And here was Thomas found himself doubting but because he was trying to protect himself. And it, it, it got him to a place, and maybe gets us to a place, of living by the what-if type of questions. What if Jesus doesn't show up for me like he did for you? What if my experience with Jesus isn't like the one you had? What if my life doesn't get turned around like yours did? And we live doubtful because 
we try to protect ourselves. But isn't that kind of like retaining control? And the very thing that Jesus has called us to is to follow him. And when we follow him, we have to let go of control. But that's often, a lot of times, why we doubt in general, because we're just trying to protect ourselves, And we live behind these locked doors, these makeshift walls, and we try to keep some people at a distance because we just don't want to be let down. But this story goes on, and even though we might have doubts, here's a second thought this story shines light on, is that Jesus is not afraid of our doubts. Our doubts don't freak Jesus out. Our doubts don't run him away. Our doubts do not keep him from us. Jesus is not afraid of our doubts. Look at this, picking back up in verse 26. Eight days later, Thomas and all the others were in the house together, and the doors were locked. Jesus suddenly stood before them. Peace to you, he said. Then, looking into Thomas's eyes, he said, put your finger here. Put your finger here in the wounds of my hands. Here, hey, Thomas, put your hand right here into my wounded side and see for yourself. Thomas, Jesus says, don't give in to your doubts any longer. Just believe. Just believe. You know, there are probably more of us who struggle with our faith than we realize. You know, there are some people we can look at and it looks like, man, they've got it all together. They are trusting God. They don't ever seem to doubt the Lord. They don't ever seem to find themselves worried or afraid or anxious. Man, they just must be kicking the devil's tail every single day of their life, man. But truth be told, the parts we don't see, the parts behind the locked, closed doors of life, where no one else is looking is they're they're afraid. We find ourselves truly, man, God, I am so nervous right now. I so want to have hope. I so want to believe. I so want to see this happen. And there are more of us who struggle with our faith than we realize, but to this, Jesus is not afraid. Why? Because Jesus wants to step into our life just like he steps into this room and he wants to show himself to us and he wants to prove himself to us and he wants us to get to a place where we won't give in to our doubts any longer but just believe. He goes to such great lengths to get us to just believe. And when we believe, it doesn't mean we don't believe without any fear or without any doubt. It means we still go to him with our fear. We still go to him with our doubt. And we wrestle and we struggle. We may have questions. Like Paul said, we don't see everything clearly right now. It's puzzling and it's mysterious. And I don't get why this happens the way it happens, God. But it makes me feel like I want to just kind of step back. And when we feel like we want to step back, Jesus is like, I'm ready to just step in. And when I step in, I bring peace because I am the prince of peace. I calm your your fears down. I tell you, hey, don't be afraid. Peace is on the scene. Peace is right here, right in the midst of you. 
And then when he steps into this room, but look who he looks into the eyes to. He looks into Thomas's eyes. How did he know to look into Thomas's eyes? Out of all the disciples, how did he know to look into Thomas's eyes? Probably because he's got a pretty good memory. He knew the last eight days ago, somebody's not here. Somebody's missing. I'm just going to kind of keep that to myself. I'm going to show back up. Because I know this person, he's probably got doubts. He's probably afraid. And he's unsure what to do. And it's Thomas. Jesus can see doubt in us. But when he sees doubt in us, he doesn't belittle us. He doesn't make us feel small. He doesn't make us feel weak. He doesn't make us feel like, man, we we need to just get our act together. When he steps in and he looks into Thomas's eyes, the first thing he says is, Thomas, come, touch me. Put your finger here on the palm of my hand. Hey, take your hand and touch my wounded side. Thomas, I want you to see for yourself. I want you to have your encounter and your experience with me because I don't want to see you give in to your doubts anymore. I want to see you believing. I want to see you living with hope. I want to change the narrative and the future of your story from here on out that, that others might call you Doubting Thomas. The group here, the guys, the other 11 may jab you with there's Doubting Thomas, but hey, I want you to know I'm giving you a unique opportunity because I so want you to believe me. I want you to believe that I have been resurrected, that I am alive. And he shows himself there. And he's not afraid. Jesus is not afraid to to meet the doubt of Thomas, to meet the questions of Thomas, to meet the skepticism of Thomas. Because uh, this, this answer here, I read this the other day, Jesus knows that honest doubt can lead to honest answers. See, if we're not honest, then we cannot receive truth. But if we're real honest and, we're re- and we are for real, real, and we're like, go to God with legit honesty, I'm afraid, I doubt, I don't get it. I'm having, tr- I'm having trouble believing you right now. It will lead to honest answers. But if we try to fake it, if we try to pretend it, if we try to masquerade it, we try to make it up, we try to facade it, we try to cover it up, all we're doing is, is delaying our destiny with Jesus. We're delaying what he has for us. We're delaying the breakthrough he wants to bring to us. But if we can just get real and we can just get honest, it can lead to truth being there for us. Jesus just so badly wanted Thomas to believe that he did this. And he so badly wants us to believe. He was was showing Thomas his part. Check this out. It's a verse we've referenced quite a bit uh, in this series in... um, Hebrews 4, verse 14, the writer writes, So, we must cling in faith to all we know to be true. For we have a magnificent king priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. 
sympathizes with us in our frailty. He understands humanity. Jesus is the only one who can 100% feel what we feel. Understands us. Sympathizes with us in our frailty. That means he... he um, It says he has sorrow with us in our affliction. Jesus has sorrow with you in the middle of your affliction, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your doubt. Jesus is the only one who can 100% feel it, but yet wants to and is able to help you in the middle of it. No one else. No one else. He gets us. He understands us. And he's the only one who can do anything about it. Jesus. And so like Jesus, the church is also called to be. We're called to be more like Christ. To be able to empathize and express compassion to other people. Matthew recorded this story in Matthew 9, verse 35. It says... Jesus walked throughout the region with the joyful message of God's kingdom realm. He taught in their meeting houses and wherever he went, he demonstrated God's power by healing every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the vast crowds of people, his heart was deeply moved with compassion because they seemed weary and helpless like wandering sheep without a shepherd. Then he turned to his disciples And he told them, hey, the harvest is huge and ripe, but there are not enough harvesters to bring it all in. So as you go, plead with the owner of the harvest, God, to thrust out many more reapers to the harvest and bring it in. You know, when people let themselves feel other people's hurt or pain or struggle, they're more apt to help build a bridge to bring people back to hope. Jesus was showing his disciples, you can feel and have compassion when other people are hurting, when other people are struggling, when other people are in pain, when other people are living in a place of doubt. You are called to have empathy and to have compassion for other people. And when we live that way, you see it in the life of Jesus. When we live that way, then we're more able to be able to build a bridge of hope to the Lord in those people's lives. You see, we go from being full of doubt to being full of hope when we find out that people care about us enough to walk with us and to love us. Said so Jesus walked throughout the region. That means, man, he t- obviously that was the way to go about life back then. I get it. But maybe if it was said today, I don't know, Jesus did not drive in the fast lane all the time. He stopped at every four-way and didn't do, you know, what most of us do. S- the slow roll and go, whatever you call it, and not stop not saying he's a goody two-shoes. I'm just saying he knew what it was like to slow his roll enough to see people, to feel 
people. I was with someone a couple of weeks ago that had gone through a, a real trying time, a real tough time, and they didn't get the answer they were wanting, and all I could do was stand there beside them and, and just look at them and say, I, I wish there was something that I could do to change this. My heart hurt for them. I don't always live compassionately. I often live in a hurry and live to move along in life. Hey, let's get on with life. Let's get on with it. Go to A to B, go to C, move on. Let's get on with our day. Let's get here. Let's get there. Let's knock our list out, get my stuff done, whatever. But it's so convicting when you, when you feel somebody else is hurt. It, it, it does something to you. And so the church, we're called to be like Jesus. We're not going to get it right every day. We're not going to get it right in every situation. But I think if we can just keep coming back enough and realizing enough, Jesus says, hey, as you go, he said, as you go, plead with the owner of the harvest. Pray to God to make you more compassionate and for God to make more people compassionate in the church so that we can actually go out and help people in this world who are hurting, who are in pain, and who are struggling. We have to be willing. I don't know about you, but that's something I need to pray more about. God, make me more compassionate so that I would be moved to help those around me who are living in doubt. Jesus does his part, and he calls the church to do her part. And then the third thought in this story. In John 20. So when we, we, I think, will fail to doubt less when we trust the source more. We'll fail to doubt less as we trust the source more. Verse 28. These words spilled out of Thomas's heart. You are my Lord and you are my God. Other translations are affectionately known for saying, my Lord and my God. It's like the light bulb came on. His eyes were open. He's like, you are him. It's Jesus. Hey, he's like looking at the other 11. It's really him. And they're like, yeah, we know. We tried to tell you that. I mean, you just see him going together in this story. But it's so amazing. Isn't it amazing when you know somebody, a friend of yours, a close one of yours, whatever, and you see them, it, it, all, it all begins to make sense in their life when they say, when they get it, when they, when they like, this is Jesus, this is the truth. Oh, this is what God was trying to get to me all along. And you're looking at them like, yeah, I've been telling you that forever. But isn't it amazing when the light comes on, when truth r- rings their bell, so to speak, when it all resonates within, it's like, 
oh, this is what I've been hoping for. This is what I've been praying for. This is what I've been wanting to see in your life. And it happened here in Thomas. He's like, my Lord and my God. And Jesus is like, Thomas, now that you've seen me, you believe. But there are those who have never seen me with their eyes, but have believed in me with their hearts. And they will be blessed even more. And it goes on, verse 30, it says, Jesus went on to do many more miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not even included in this book. But all that is recorded here is so that you will fully believe. What great links the sovereign Lord has gone to through the power of the preservation that the Holy Spirit gave to the Scriptures. All of this was recorded so that you will fully believe. God wants us to believe. To believe that Jesus is the Anointed One, the Son of God, and that through your faith in Him, you will experience eternal life by the power of of his name. There is no greater feeling in the world than on those days when I fully believe Jesus. When I wake up and just determine I'm going to believe him no matter what today. And when I live that day at the end of the day and I go to bed and I put my head on a pillow, I can exhale and be like, I fully believed you today. Things might have not gone my way, but I didn't, it didn't, didn't mess me up. I lived not wanting my will, but your will, God. Oh, if I could just put seven days together in a row. Mm, come on, somebody. <laughs> it's good when I can get one, <clears throat> and I can get two. But I can't always get that third one. And sometimes that fourth one messes me up. And then day five comes around. And then day six, tomorrow's church. I got to get it together, Lord. And there, I got to tell you, there's some Sundays I don't have it together. But I'm praying as I step into this place. And then I see your faces. And I'm reminded that yesterday's gone. And that all my sins are forgiven. It just makes me want to keep coming back. Even though I have my shortcomings and my mistakes. It makes me want to just keep coming back because God's just been too good. He's just been too faithful. He's just been too kind. That even when my mind tries to lie to me and tell me, you don't deserve kindness because of your ugliness. The Holy Spirit chimes in and it's like, yes, you do. You were worth it. You were worth it. Man, that messes me up. You were worth it. Some of you here today, you don't feel worth it. And yeah, left in our own self, there's no way out. There's no hope but clinging to the truth that Jesus paid it all. He says you were worth it. And Thomas found out, my Lord 
And my God, I guess I was worth it. You came to give him my own personal experience. How about that? Thomas had doubts. We all have doubts, but it's, what do we do with it? What do we do with our doubts? In closing, I I just have this story I want to share with you. And then here in a moment, we're going to come to communion. I read this story recently by Robert Louis Stevenson, one of the great novelists of the 20th century. He wrote about one of his excursions to the South Sea Islands one time and how their ship had encountered this horrific, terrible storm. And here were were all the passengers in the belly of this ship, afraid, worried that the ship wouldn't make it, it would get lost. They were filled with doubts about their safety. Is this it? So one of the passengers went up braved the wind, the rain, went up to the upper deck. He saw the captain of the ship just kind of quietly pacing back and forth. He had this tranquil, undisturbed look on his face, just calm. As he looked out across this sea that was being torn to pieces by this storm, He gave the orders to his crew on how to handle the ship, and he turned and he saw this passenger who had come up from the bottom, and he saw him there, and the captain just smiled. The man made his way back down to the belly of the ship to all the other passengers where they were huddled together, and in response to their questions, what's going on, are we going to make it? He comforted them by saying, I have seen the captain's face, and all is well. You see, there's hope for the doubter because if we would just look into the face of Christ, we would see that really all is well. I don't know what you go through all the time, really, that makes you get to a place of doubting, but we all go through things that can make us doubt. What God does is try to put before us opportunities to see the face of Christ, our captain. And if we would just but look, oh, such peace, such tranquility, such strength settles down on us and lets us know all is well. All is well. You know, communion, it's one of those things. Jesus knew what he was doing. How about that? 
his last supper with his disciples. Thomas is there. Say, hey, this bread, this represents my body that will be broken for you. And I want you to eat this bread tonight because every time you come back to eat it again, you're going to remember me. You're going to remember that I am enough to satisfy your life. I am enough to fill you. I am enough. I am sufficient. And then when you're going to take this cup and you're going to drink from it, inside there, this juice that reminds you of something, it symbolizes the blood I'm going to shed for the forgiveness of everyone's sins. That I'm going to pay, I'm going to be that ransom, that sacrificial lamb for the sins of you and the entire world. And that as often as you come back to drink from this cup, you're going to be reminded that I gave you my all because you were worth it. I so want you to believe. I so want you to have faith. I so want you to trust. And communion does that for us. It's something that Jesus says we're called to come to often. It's, it was what is described in theology, the sacred act of worship. It's something that's supposed to carry on throughout our faith. That we don't stop coming to it. Because as often as we come to take the bread and eat it and drink from the cup, we're reminded. Jesus is the only one who can fill me and truly satisfy me. And Jesus' blood is the only thing that can wash me white as snow and push all my transgressions away and give me a brand new clean start every single day. So you've got those elements. You can get those ready.